Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Jude 3 Project. My name is Vince Bantu, and I am excited to be guest hosting uh, this episode. And this has actually been a series of episodes on the Jude 3 Project uh, that I've been able to participate in, where we are actually profiling and discussing a, a new book that's an edited volume that I've had the, the privilege and blessing to be able to edit. And the book is entitled Gospel Hymenote, a constructive theology and critical reflection on African and diasporic Christianity. And uh, this book, Gospel Hymenote, is very much in line with the vision and mission of the Jew 3 Project, which is poised to help the body of Christ uh, be equipped in representing and defending the faith, the Christian faith uh, that we have in Jesus Christ, and uh, especially geared towards equipping the Black church and Black community. And that uh, exactly what this book is all about. Um, and uh, this this book has been several years in the making. And really the heart uh, behind the book, really when the Lord put it on my heart to, to, to write this book, uh, it really came out of my journey entering into academia and the world of theological education. And on the one side, feeling like in maybe the, you know, traditional conservative evangelical uh, kind of, um, you know, theological education uh, there that there wasn't a lot of, you know, our people reflected in the curriculum and in uh, the frameworks. And oftentimes also and we're seeing this even still now. There's oftentimes, uh, you know, not all the time, but many times in the evangelical world, not a clear uh, stance towards uh, and for justice and issues that especially face the black community. And on the flip side, uh, when I was introduced to what's called, often called uh, kind of black theology and the dominant strain of black theology, I found lots of helpful resources in that, especially with regards to issues of justice um, and, uh, and, and liberation. But oftentimes uh, there would be a lack of commitment to an orthodox understanding of the Trinity and of salvation and grace through faith. Uh, and also um, uh, the authority of scripture. And so it often left me feeling like, well, where can we go? Where's a place where people who are coming out of the tradition of the black church, uh, which is, you know, by and large, a strong commitment to biblical orthodoxy and to justice. Um, that's really what gospel hymeno seeks to provide is theological framing. Uh, and, and that's what we talk about. We talk about gospel, being a gospelist. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really the, the heart and core of the book. And also what it was intended to do was to bring together a consortium of scholars who are all uh, coming from that same holistic theology that, that really represents and characterizes the black church. Um, mm -hmm really is not largely represented in academia, but, uh, but you know, the, the few of us that there are, you know, again, black scholars who are PhDs and in, in various theological and biblical disciplines who still hold to the truth of the gospel, um, we, we got together and all reflected from our various disciplines. So I was able to edit the book, but it, throughout the, there are chapters from various scholars who all have different disciplines and all of us, the common theme are that we are coming from this holistic or gospelist perspective. Mm -hmm. Again, that is committed to the the or orthodoxy and the truth of the gospel, as well as justice, and that they're not—it's not an either-or, or it's not one higher than the other, but they're all holistic. Mm -hmm. um, because our Lord and Savior says, "The first, the second is like the first commandment." Amen. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, and so uh, we've had the opportunity in this series on the Jude 3 Project to be able to 
interview and talk with some of the different authors uh, in this um, in this chapter. Just a few of them. We, you know, we, there's so many great ones. So definitely get the book. Um, and uh, we've we've talked with uh, uh, Dr. Vincent Baycote and Dr. Jacqueline Dyer. And today we are blessed to be able to have um, our final episode in this series where we are going to be talking to Dr. Kaniquia Day. And I'm joined today by Dr. Day. Uh, hello, Dr. Day. It's good to see you. Hello. How are you? Oh, good. It's a it's a blessing to be with you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Good so to be here. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Dr. Day, um, uh, I, I want to uh, tell everybody a little bit about your chapter, but uh, I wonder if you could just start off by maybe introducing to uh, everyone, our, all the listeners today, uh, maybe you could just tell a little bit about yourself and uh, your work in ministry. Yes. Uh, so, yes, I'm Quiniquia Day. I teach at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. My area is Old Testament. So all things Old Testament. I also have the privilege of working um, with the Meacham Project over at, um, with Vince. So I get to teach. Yeah. So I'm an adjunct there. So woo-woo, hopefully I'll see some of you, um, I think, later uh, next year. I'm mm-hmm. teaching a course for him. So that's what I do as far as my employment. I'm also an ordained minister and so um, with the church of God. So I really do believe in the word of God as mm. the word of God, as God breathed word. So I, I take it all in and I, mm. I use it in my life. So I don't teach something that I don't believe. I teach, mm. I teach the scriptures because I believe the scriptures. So mm. the about me. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Man, well, it's such a blessing to have worked with you in, in so many capacities. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Day teaches with the Meacham School of Hymenal, is one of our Old Testament professors uh, department. And so we're uh, blessed to have you. And also, uh, is it also we, we help to convene the Society of Gospel Hymenal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which is actually the only uh, con- academic consortium of, of black theological scholars, uh, also with a with a journal, the Hymeno Journal. And so we just had our first annual conference. Uh, and then also with this book, uh, with Gospel Hymeno, which is really kind of the prolegomena, or which is really kind of the uh, foundational text for this, again, this paradigm of uh, Gospel Hymeno. And, uh, you know, and so really, um, it's, you know, again, just such a such a blessing to be able to work on it. And, and again, you know, as I was mentioning in the book, uh, you know, really, we we try to be include various disciplines, but the common theme is that we're all coming from this uh, theological and cultural place of being black scholars who, again, who are committed to the authority of the word and to the flourishing of the black community, mm-hmm. uh, to all people and to and to justice. And so, uh, and and Dr. Day, your chapter again, it uh, it comes uh, from it, it 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 looks at from that perspective, just for mm-hmm. example, as mine does in the field of early Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in your chapter, it it comes to the field of Old Testament studies and biblical studies uh, again from that gospelist perspective. And so I wonder if you could just um, you know uh, maybe give everybody a, a a basic sense of kind of what your what your chapter is about. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of like the overarching. Uh, oh, sure. chapter. Yeah, it's an amazing chapter. For, first of all, it's, yes, it's, it is. It's the moment in the text where God. Uh, shows himself to be mighty. So there are these five women who find themselves um, basically orphaned. Their father has died and they, uh, the Israelites are, you know, sort of organizing themselves because they're eventually going to have the inherited land. Well, without a father um, and without any brothers, the women risk going into the promised land with no place to live, quite frankly. And so they come to Moses and the elders and they said, you know, Uh, our father died. He didn't commit any sin. And and, uh, as those who rebelled in the time of Korah, and why should his name just go away uh, because he has no sons? Give us an inheritance. Now, the the thing about that is God said that the inheritance will go to the names of the, the sons. So they need to have the name. They have to have the name connected to their father. So they said, don't let his name perish. And Moses, the case is so deep that Moses has to bring it to God. He doesn't have any idea what to do with this case. And God turns around and says, the women are right. And the Hebrew word there is Cain, which is the idea of just or, or yeah, just right. They, they, have, they, mm. they are, their cause is correct. And so you have this amazing moment where God says, okay, uh, they're right. Now give them an inheritance. So women now can inherit without being married 
if there are no sons in the family, they can inherit, they can have land, they can have property, they can be fairly independent. Now, uh, it would not be ideal for an Israelite woman to not be married. So we can anticipate that they will be married, but the stipulation does not come with uh, a, a command that they marry in order to inherit. So it's a quite an amazing moment. And as a black woman, I, I say, wow, and, and she's from the tribe of, they're from the tribe of Manasseh. You know, Manasseh is, uh, is the son of Joseph, mm. uh, wife, you know, so you got black people in there. Uh, it's mm. all from the text where God shows that if you petition him with a just cause, you'll get a just answer. Mm, wow. Wow. That's powerful. And, and yeah, just to, uh, you know, and, and yeah, just so everybody can and, and, uh, and follow what we're talking about, definitely go and check out, as Dr. Day said, the Numbers chapter 27, and I believe it's verses one through nine is the pericope uh, mm-hmm. that your chapter focuses on, Dr. Day. Am I right? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So definitely go. And get you just can't leave. You can't stop there. You have to go over to the to the other passage, too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It continues. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that, that is a man, that, that is a powerful story. And so, you know, and, and Dr. Day, you mentioned, um, again, especially reading as a black woman, mm. uh, you know, understanding the significance of this particular, um, this particular story. And I wonder if you could, uh, if we could get into that a little bit more, because in your chapter, you, uh, you, you, you do a really great job of actually surveying the, um, the, the, the whole corpus of scholarship uh, mm-hmm. on this particular passage. And there's, there's a lot, there's, you know, there's a whole lot of, of work that's been done. And, um, and you, you, you categorize it uh, by uh, really three main groups in the chapter. You look at, uh, you know, feminist interpretations, because as you mentioned, this is a significant passage as, as, as it has women as the central character. Yeah. Yes. And also you, you look at womanist perspectives, right? And just for anybody uh, that's talking about, well, you know, womanism is, is the theological uh, framework that really centers the perspective uh, of black women, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, is really, um, you know, in a way kind of a, uh, in some ways related to feminist and black liberation theology, but also mm-hmm. really charting new courses and developments. And you look at uh, womanist interpretations as well as feminist, and then you go into the gospelist perspective. Right. Uh, and how these different groups are looking at this story of the daughters of Zelopha had in Numbers 27. Right. And today I wondered if you could just again give the audience maybe uh, some of the basics of like how what are some of the what are some of the ways that you've seen these these three groups mm-hmm. look at and interpret this story? Uh, right. Maybe how, how are some of those ways different and similar? Yeah. So I'll 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 start with um, the fact that they all they all want to get to the truth. Right. They they all 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 of the groups want to know what the truth is and how to use this word to understand who God is. And and for to some to various degrees, how to have some sort of personal journey through the word. So I would say the agreement is that they're all looking for the truth of the word. Now, we can um, disagree on on whose truth is is true. I think that that becomes an issue. Uh, but I, I'll start with the gospel is more. This tends to be more emphasis and it needs to be more work needs to uh, more work needs to be done in this area. Uh, when they look at the daughters of Zelophehad story, they really look at how God keeps his promises. You know, God makes sure that the tribe gets the land, um, that, that Manasseh is not left out, that the name is preserved. So there's this wonderful way of looking at the text of showing the fidelity of God which is what we need. We need to know that the God in whom we trust is faithful. Um, the, the, the womanist tends to look at uh, the fact of the story where the woman is oppressed. The woman, uh, she, the, the women are working together, which is something we see with black women. You know, black women, we know how to get it together. If you look at women in the black church, we're, we tend to be the most you know, populous group there. So mm-hmm. we've learned how to work together. And if you look at black women in communities, we have learned where we are learning, we learn how to get it done. And so you have these five women who are all named, which is also an amazing moment because you don't have women named that often in the Bible, but all their names are named. And so you have these five women who work together. So the women are gonna talk about how the women are working together. 
Um, but they're also going to talk about this patriarchal system that's oppressive. They're also going to talk about the, the interpretation in Numbers 36, to um, which they interpret as someone being forced to marry, which I differ on that. I don't see the Numbers 36 passage as a command that they must marry in order to inherit. And then in, I think uh, when it comes to the feminist approach, they're, they're going to look at not only the, how women are being oppressed, but they're going to look at the post-colonial way. The feminists do this too. Post-colonial uh, interpretation is really interesting because they look at how these women are bargaining for land that belong to other women. And so there's this healthy skepticism of, or, healthy, or I would say tension in the text of what does that mean about women going to, you know, an, uh, a group of elders asking for land that they don't own yet that belongs to other women? How, do, how are we women working together? Which is, I think, a fair and good question. One thing I think the feminists and the womenists miss with that is that the land is promised to the Israelites as an inheritance. It's not like they're going to take land that they are not promised. And as a matter of fact, God has a very dim view of the Israelites when they try to take land, which is not part of their inheritance. Mm. He wants them to possess their inheritance, but land that has been allotted to other people, he's not in favor of them expanding as other nations would have expanded and uh, become greater and greater and greater. That's not what God, that's not God's vision for the Israelites. So the differences, I think, mainly are uh, between the feminist, womanist, and uh, the gospelist tradition is how we look at the men, uh, whether the men are seen as oppressive, whether the men, whether the system is seen as oppressive, um, are the women uh, liberated, truly liberated in the text? Catherine um, mm -hmm. Sackenfeld, in her her article on this on the doors of the loaf hat, talks about how the women are actually trying to preserve. Um, their father's name. That's that's their goal, and and so is that really benefiting the women, or is that really benefiting the man? And so I think that they ask great questions, and I wish that's why I have why I'm sort of looking at bridging the gap. I wish that they all interacted with each other um, with less hostility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Well, and, and, you know, again, uh, you know, shout out to, um, you know, uh, again, what we do with, at the Meacham School of High Mode is just, again, so in line with Jude 3 Project because we, you know, at our, uh, you know, Society of Gospel High Mode annual meeting, we, you know, we've had, we've had a consortium of, of Black scholars all come together and do theological research. Uh, and Bible is one of the core areas where, where we, and yourself, you know, you, you uh, oversee that portion of the conference and the journal. And we've had, you know, we've had people from more of a womanist liberationist kind of mainline background. And we've had people that are coming from the gospelist, uh, you know, perspective. And, um, and, and, you know, we, we were able to have cordial uh, academic, you know, interchange uh, in print and in verbal form. And then at the same time, you know, shout out to Jude 3 for courageous conversations. And you and I have been a part yeah. of that. And shout out to Lisa for, you know, Lisa Fields for organizing that. Uh, that's also a place where there's been cordial uh, interchange. Right. And, and and so, again, I mean, it's historic, I think, because these are, you know, Meacham School of Hymen and Jude 3 Project are some of the only contexts where black scholars have been able to gather and to be able to talk about some of these differences that we have and to bridge that gap. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's so important. Um, these are people and we see them, you know, probably, you know, if you live near them, you'll see them in the grocery store. You hang out with them. They're they're people just like we are. And they they differ in their interpretation for their reasons. Um, but that does not mean that we can't have a decent conversation with them. And, and the world is looking at how we a church are dealing with one another. And so mm -hmm. we I think we need to sort of have more of this interaction in a civilized way so that people can learn and then make their decision. I hope they mm -hmm. make the decision to follow the orthodoxy of the text, um, but mm -hmm. they need to make their decision. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. I mean, I just, uh, it, you know, it's just so, it's, it's, it's so important what you're saying about, again, the, the, the ability to, you know, I just hearing what you're saying, the importance of, of, 
being equally committed to truth and to love and to grace all together at the same time that that, you know, um, we don't have to agree to be in conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, at the same time. We don't have to be hostile in how we differ or disagree with one another. Um, it just makes me think about friends that I have that, again, come from a, you know, liberationist womanist perspective that I think there's a lot of benefit to those paradigms and, and a lot of helpful pushbacks against kind of the dominant culture theology. Um, and as you the same as you, uh, you know, I do believe that the Bible is the perfect divinely inspired word of God. And I do believe Jesus is the only way. Uh, truth and the life, and I know most of them don't. And we can politely disagree about that and still be cool. And we can still uh, hang out and be, and I have several friends where we just, you know, I'd be, I'd be you know, you know, I'd be trying to get them saved. <laughs> and then, but then we, then, we, then we hang out and chop it up. And right. uh, um, yeah, I just, I just agree with you. I, I, I agree with you so much on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, I feel like I, you know, I just have to underline this. Um, I really have to underline this. Uh, I think it's so important. I don't want the audience to miss how historically significant your chapter is in particular uh, in this book. This book, you know, is an edited volume and it has several scholars, um, but 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 your it's it's really historic, especially uh, in, for your chapter above all the others. And, and I love all the chapters, you know, and I'm not trying to pick favorites, but I'm just saying that, that, you know, yours is historic because your chapter is as far as I am aware, I would love it if in the comments or whatever else, you know, but as far as I'm aware, your chapter is the first publication, the mm-hmm. first work in print, mm-hmm. a black woman who is a scholar in Bible, some, you know, form of Bible or theology that has provided a, as you said, a graceful and loving pushback or difference uh, in some ways from mm-hmm. a more womanist perspective. Um, because as, as I'm sure you know, uh, in scholarship, in the, in the academy for black women who are PhDs in Bible and theology, mm-hmm. the, you know, the womanist perspective really it reigns supreme. Uh, it's very dominant, yeah. Yeah, it does, and I and I think you know, for for uh, as a black woman, when when you see other women doing what you desire to do, you're just excited. You know, if you really love people, and I I truly do love people. I'm I don't I don't walk around you know jealous of this one. I I'm, that's not kind of how I am. I know some people are different, mm-hmm. but so I differ from Wilda Gaffney, but I am absolutely amazed by her. I think she mm-hmm. like so brilliant. Um, and just, you know, fantastically brilliant. Um, uh, Dr. Uh, Renita Weems, I, again, brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, just fan, you, you just look at them, you go, wow, that's my sister. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I differ from my sister. So I think that, you know, one of the things I think the Academy really misses is that, especially for Black women, you need to see role models. You need to see people mm-hmm. doing what you desire to do. Even if you disagree with them, you just need to know that it's possible and you need to know how to engage with the academy. You need to know what are the pitfalls? What did you have to do with? Because be, after the, you know, when we look at our theology, we, we still have to deal with the fact that we're black women. And so there's something that we can deal with. No one asks us, are you orthodox or are you womanist? Are you feminist before they discriminate? They just discriminate. Mm. So, you know, as black women, there is this, this, this empowerment you get from seeing your sister doing it. Yeah. It encourages you to find your own voice and to also do it. That's exactly right. That's, and, and I, I think it's, you know, uh, just to interact with that. I mean, I, 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 you know, uh, but also to respect the uniqueness of that experience, you know, as a black man mm-hmm. coming into theological academia, you know, coming from the hood and then coming into, you know, theological academia, you know, I felt that to a degree, uh, mm-hmm. not feeling represented. And then, you know, when I started reading black liberation the- the- theology from black men, I felt the same kind of, you know, mixed response of being like, it's so nice to see be reflected. Um, but yet at the same time, there were some areas where I was like, oh, but I, I don't think I can go quite there, you right. know, um, and but I, I, you know, I can only imagine that that 
that that dynamic is is even multiplied or you know exacerbated for being a black woman uh being doubly you know uh, underrepresented and and I wanted to quote you uh from you know and wonder if we could dig deeper into what you're what you're hitting on um you know in in the opening of your chapter you you say uh the primary audience for this essay is the black women studying within a gospelist context mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of instructors at seminaries or religious institutions are Caucasian males. Rarely are black women in these settings exposed to orthodox teaching and scholarship from other black women. And, and so that's, uh, it's just like, again, y'all got to get this book, even, you know, this chapter. Uh, And again, it's a story and you are just touching on powerful issues, but I wonder if we can unpack, if you can unpack that a little bit more for us, Dr. Day about, you know, you, why that is like, why, you know, why is it um, that, that, as you said, uh, you know, that, that we have uh, this dynamic where it's extremely difficult and rare, and sometimes it doesn't happen that a black woman coming into biblical and theological education will not have an instructor or be taught or even have readings sometimes from other black women, and especially ones that are coming from a gospelist uh, perspective. Right. I think there are a lot of layers to it. I mean, what is mentorship and how we um, actually teach our, our students? I think when it comes to black people, you can look at how they are sort of encouraged in seminary. So instead of going to get your PhD, they say, why don't you go get a doctor of ministry? Mm-hmm. If you have an amplified voice, you know, preaching, you sound good for preaching. Do you sing? And so mm-hmm. uh, you struggle with the language instead of saying, maybe we can get you a tutor or maybe we can figure out how we can help you. Maybe this is not the right degree for you. And so you have some, some parts of it where I, I don't want to say, use a word so strong as racism, but it is the system is not set up to bring forth w- black women through a sort of a mentoring channel. Um, so mm. you have to be an intentionality to go out and um, find black women who are, who are studying and then allow them to teach in your class. I always have TAs for my classes. Um, and I'm always encouraging to go forward. And so there has to be an intentionality on the part of the professor or the institution. Now, mm-hmm. both jobs are occupied by predominantly white males. Even mm-hmm. if he has a heart to do it, there may be an uncomfortableness in how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so there, and then you, you always can run into all sorts of other issues of sexuality and, 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 and any sort of power dynamics that can come up. And so it can be all these other layers. So I think primarily um, it has to be it has to be more investment in mentorship and and how we teach our our black women. Um, are we encouraging them forward, or are we saying, uh, are we sort of, you know, hinting that they should go other other places? And number two, I think is how we look at the text. If we don't mm-hmm. out areas that they are in the text, it, they, there won't be an encouragement to look deeper. And so in my, in my article, I also talked about, you know, the Abraham and Hagar situation. And so that that is overwhelmingly mm-hmm. um, of in, in the Orthodox or Gospelist rather tradition about mm-hmm. Abraham, just, you know, he obeys God, who says to listen to his wife. But there's this, you know, he totally abandons Hagar. He really sends her to die. Um, mm-hmm. and, there, and, and she's a black woman. He sends mm-hmm. her back has a family. She's going back to her father's house. She's not void of a family. So there's Mm -hmm. all the layers that as as Black people, when we look at the text, that I think that if they are sort of pointed out and someone encourages us further to look at that more, we would do it. But if there's no sort of, if if it's not being talked about and there's no encouragement or reward or affirmation, you feel like, Mm -hmm. well, waste of time. If I do it, it's not going to help my grade. If I do it, it's not going to help me get a job. And I have so many other things to do. I'm not going to do it. Mm, Those are a few things. I mean, it probably can go on and on about this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And and, I mean, other, you know, I I guess, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but, you know, two other, I think what you're saying is is so spot on. It's one of the core reasons. I I wonder, two other things popped in my head is also funding. (laughs) You know, the 
the the the mainline schools. I just talked to a, a a black female student the other day who's studying at an evangelical seminary, and they're leaving because they're getting better scholarshiping at a mainline seminary, and that mainline seminary has like a handful of black faculty uh, who are all liberationists and womanists and the evangelical school that the person's leaving has, has one black man. And that's, that's it. Uh, and, you know, and, and there's better funding. I mean, that's exactly my, what was my issue. Uh, when I was looking at um, going to get my master's degree, I remember thinking who has the money because, you mm-hmm. know, I, I have, I have, I have three masters already and trying to mm-hmm. write this, this PhD thesis. But I, have, I remember mm-hmm. um, just saying BU, Boston University, uh, which paid for my master's of social work degree. Uh, mm-hmm. all, they had tons of money. But mm-hmm. other people, the evangelical schools, they may have had money, but they didn't have money for me. Mm-hmm. They may have a scholarship, but they may have one scholarship for uh, minorities or something. So you, if you don't have the money... And if you are, as a black woman, the primary bread earner for your family, or if you're doing a multiple things in your family, or if there's other stressors, you have to balance all that. And, and that can be a little bit overwhelming. And so there has to be more money poured into it. it it's just how we value education, though. Do we value mm-hmm. the, the voice of a black woman? Or do we see it as an aggressive voice? Do we see it as mm-hmm. uh, a voice that is coming against our system? Um, is it a is it a voice that um, is her sound too loud? Is her sound too confident? And what does that mean to the mm-hmm. institution? And those are things that really have um, have been used against Black women, and in some ways um, may have caused people not to want to invest in sort of supporting scholarships for them. But there needs to be more money in evangelical institutions and a focus on how we raise up black and brown women in this area. It, it needs to be, I, I have to be able to teach at Gordon-Conwell and at least have one semester where someone comes in and says to me that I am not their first black professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. And so, and I, and I keep hearing you are my first black professor. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm right there. I get the same thing. That's. And uh, man, and that's that's uh, that's also, again, why it's great to be working in and partnering with, you know, uh, PWIs that want to make changes in these areas. But that's also why, praise the Lord, it's great to have institutions like the Jew three project providing content and also academic context like Meacham School of Hymenote, where it's like, hey, uh, it's, you know, they people can get that kind of education uh, from black and gospelist, you know, professors. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, and, and again, you can get, get into exegetical and, you know, uh, work like yourself, you know, what you're providing, uh, that, that again is deeply engaging the text as you do in this chapter, but that also mediating it from our perspective, from the black church perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to that end, I wonder, I, I wanted to also, uh, you know, uh, coming back to the chapter a little bit more, um, you know, as we, as we are, you know, uh, entering into and really trying to bring the holistic perspective of the black church that's committed to truth and justice that that we're calling gospel hymen or a gospelist perspective. Um, it, you know, as we're bringing that into and and into the academic space and putting it in print, uh, and all that, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how how you would see your your chapter. Uh, you know, and your chapter and also just your scholarship and what you bring as as a as a gospelist Old Testament scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that how do you see that uh, helping to build and contribute to and and, and converse with uh, this this overarching paradigm of gospel hymen? How, how would you see your chapter best kind of uh, helping to shape that that paradigm? Yeah. That's a great question. I think. One of the things that we can, if we, for example, just look at the how Moses is dealt with in the chapter, um, from the womanist and from the feminist perspective, um, he, you know, he gets kudos for, you know, going to God and and sort of making sure the women's case are heard, is heard, but then he really gets slammed in Numbers thirty six because there's a perception that he does not go to God, and I and I do differ in their interpretation of what happens in Numbers thirty six. However, when it comes to sort of looking at it from a, a sort of a gospelist or a gospel hymenite sort of way, one of the things that we could do is that we can sort of emphasize that 
leadership can be messy. And for us as um, a black community, we are well aware of, we have great leaders, people in churches, people in our community where they're not perfect, but they are definitely called by God. And so I think that one of the things that can, that can come out of this essay is the recognize, just recognizing that for, for those who want to just dismiss the story based on how they perceive Moses' action in Numbers 36 compared to Numbers 27, that we all recognize that we're not perfect, that we, we fall short. Perhaps we don't do things the best way all the time, but that does not mean that God is not using us. That does not mean that God is not going to do something great with us. And for Black people, that's, that's an encouragement. We do not have to be perfect for God mm -hmm. to use us. And mm -hmm. for, if you're studying at school, one thing that you always know that you always feel this pressure to excel more than the others because you know that you're gonna be looked at slightly differently. Most black people have had this, now I won't say most because I don't know all the black people in the world, but a good number of black people have had the experience of feeling they have to go a little bit further just to be on equal footing in someone else's eyes. Mm. So for, uh, for us as, as black people, as we sort of just look at it, you know, the text, we can say, okay, things can be a little messy, but God can still be glorified. God still uses Moses in a, in a magnificent way. Even if you are a womanist and feminist and you really think that Moses fell short in Numbers 36, you, you can still hold to the fact that God uses him to at least open the door so that the women mm -hmm. can have an inheritance and that they can actually find themselves carrying on their father's name. Mm -hmm. so I, I would sort of add that. And then I think I would also add the importance, again, um, from working in community. The, the, the women speak mm -hmm. with one voice. And so Karen, I think it's Catherine Sackenfield brings it up. You know, she 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 wonders what the audience and some of the other feminist women scholars bring this up too. They wonder what the audience must have been thinking when these women just showed up with boldness. And I think for us, um, you know, looking at how we do ministry and how we live our lives, you know, there there will always be people around who are watching, and we mm -hmm. have to move out with boldness, just as the women. Who, were, who knew it was not right for them not to have land. We want to move out, but we just don't want to move out on our own. We want to move out collectively as a group. And I think that in, in Christendom, we really can do better in this area. Whether you're Orthodox or liberal, we can, we can do better in how we work together to advance God's kingdom. Amen, amen. That's, yeah, that's, I, that, that is that's so on point. Um, and and I wonder, you know, in the in the same vein, um, you know, because uh, definitely, as you as you pointed out, there are ways in which your just just as my, for example, as a patristic, as an early church scholar, my reading of early church history is often very different, uh, you know, than um, you know maybe other people who are coming from a more uh, mainline or liberationist or womanist uh, camp. Um, but and at the same time, and I, I get into this in my chapter a little bit, um, uh, you know, that at the same time, my reading of early church history often also is often very different than people in a more like, you know, conservative or white or evangelical kind of context as well. And I just wondered if there was any uh, any thoughts or ways in which you might feel that your reading as a as a black woman who is you know birthed in the black church and and comes from that perspective and from a gospelist perspective do you do you find as whether it's with this story daughters as a loaf had or even just you know your experience in in interpreting and analyzing the old testament is, is there ever examples where you also feel that sometimes your your perspective and your gospelist uh per reading of the text sometimes might differ or helpfully kind of uh, add to or help to uh, fill in gaps that sometimes might also be lacking in the, you know, more in the more conservative or dominant evangelical uh, kind of reading of the Old Testament? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I for me, I look at the whole book of Numbers. I, I think if, if I ever had a chance to write a commentary, I would write one on Numbers because mm -hmm. God has unusual things for women in, 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 this, um, in this book. And so I look at not just the daughters of Zelophehad, but if you look at just the, the book overall, you have the, the moment where you have the adultery test, right? That's in Numbers chapter five. That is, that is an amazing moment in the text where 
God basically God says you just can't, you know, accuse a woman of adultery and just, you know, put her away. There has to be some level of test. There has to be some sort of proof. Well, in in ancient Near East, you know, they could women didn't have a lot of rights. They could just be accused and sort of dismissed, and, and that would be it. Um, but God says, no, there has to be a process. Um, whereas you just can't accuse, you have to bring it before the priest. Now, again, it's really male dominated because the woman only, it's only the woman that has to prove, she has to prove that she is not guilty, right? It's not. So there's, there's some way that, you know, you wish it could even be better, but still overall, you know, especially when I hear so many people talk about some of the terror texts and God knows there's some, some terrible things, Judges 19, um, Judges chapter 20, the kidnapping things. There's some really um, painful things that happen to women in, in the text. And, but there are also great moments where God shows up on women's behalf. And so I think in order to present a real fair look at it, I just sort of, when I'm reading and I see women, I, I want to sort of just read it closely. I'm not mm -hmm. adding anything to the text. I'm just saying what's there. The women are given the right to marry without um, you know, a right to have land without getting married. That's kind of amazing. The women mm -hmm. who are is accused of adultery can't just be put away. She has to, it has to be proven. That's kind of amazing. In the book of Exodus, women are serving at the tent of the meeting. What in the world are women doing serving at the tent of the meeting? Aren't they supposed to be home? That's just in the text. These are the, so overall um, you have these moments uh, where, where God just really shows up in an amazing way that needs to be sort of held up. Um, if we're going to hold up all the rape scenes and talk about that and the kidnapping, we should also hold up these, these other remarkable moments in the text. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's so for me, that's how, that's how I see it. Because you, 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 when I'm in class, when I was taking, when I was getting my MDiv, no one taught me that. When I got my THM, no one said that. No one said, hey, look at this. No one did that. That that just comes from reading the text and quite frankly, hearing what some liberal interpretations are saying and then having to go back. And that's why when I teach, I always try to expose my students to a liberal perspective or a mm -hmm. perspective that's contrary to what they think. Not because I want them to go a different way, but I want them to be exposed to how others think so that they can properly engage that they're not just out there not knowing um, how to handle themselves. What parent does that? What parent sends their child to school unprepared with no book, no notebook, no pencil, no pen? Yet we train people in a gospelist sort of setting unprepared to address the, the deeper issues. We send them with no book, no pen, and we say, okay, go deal with that group over there who doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. It's, it, and, and it's just not it's not intellectually responsible. Cause I mean, you know, again, like you're saying, whether, whatever tradition or persuasion you're coming from, if you're in a school, <laughs> then you want to train people how to think, not what to think. And so, you know, I, but I just relate to what you're saying. Cause I've taught, I remember teaching in a conservative evangelical context and I had my students read James Cone and people were like, why are we reading this? You know, this is, this is not useful. We shouldn't be, re we should only be reading people we agree with. And then on the, on the flip though, you know, I've been in mainline, I've taught in mainline schools uh, where everybody was very liberal and I had them, you know, read conservative, uh, you know, people, evangelical scholars. And at the same time, they'll be like, why are we reading this? This is garbage. This is, you know, uh, patriarchal, homophobic, racist garbage. We shouldn't be reading this. And I'm like, but again, you know, we should be learning to read and engage with all voices as you're saying. There, there are two problems with that. One, it, 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 what happens is they don't want us to read it because it's, it's really fear. It mm -hmm. really is just fear. They are, they are afraid that if you read it, you may be persuaded to think differently and you may leave the faith. And so that's, that's one area. The other piece is that we need to un understand that an, un an unintended consequence of that is if the majority of people who are writing things that are not agreed with are black and brown people, then what you're saying in some way is that you who are black or brown, you may be someone that we might not agree with. So you, when you bring up an opinion in class, you get almost automatically categorized as to, are you that person? Are you that group? Um, and then with the fear, then your voice is not going to be affirmed. Again, going back to the necessity, the importance of having black mentors, black faculty, yeah. sort of, um, really engaging in these areas with, with teaching white people too, because white people, or I will say the majority class, because some people don't like when you say white. So 
some of them have are not used to people of color being an authority. And so mm -hmm. it's really hard for them to understand scholarship as equal on equal footing as mm -hmm. other um, other texts they're reading. That's that is exactly right. And I again just have to I just again have to give you a shout out as well. And I, I relate to this a little bit as a scholar, a black scholar of early Christianity. Um, you know, because you know, black scholars like yourself and me, you know, black folks with PhDs in religion and theology, we are almost overwhelmingly theology and ethics. Like that's like so many, like 90 some percent. There are so few, there's few, there's two, there's not enough of us period, right? Mm -hmm. so kind of hate or throw shade. There's not, a, there needs to be more of us in every field, but even those of us that are in the academy, there is so overwhelmingly in theology and ethics or, or homiletics or modern related stuff. But even when you get into like early Christianity or Bible, it's mm -hmm. like way smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so few of us in that area. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, as you're saying, like, you know, a, you know, it, the there's a there's a dominant there's a tendency in the dominant white culture to, you know, kind of be like, well, we we can't, you know, speak on different things. And, you know, you can talk when it's when it's black day, but you can't talk. And, and <laughs> that's exacerbated when you talk about the Bible. Then, right. And I think that's why we see so few of us in that. So just shout out to yourself and the work that you are doing and everybody that's watching, please follow the work of Dr. Kanikwe Day because you are a mentor to us all. That is that is very needed uh, in the black church and white church, in the black academy, in the white academy, in the conservative evangelical. Um, and, and we're just so grateful for, you know, for what you do. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I was wondering as we as we wind down, if you um, I, I, you know, as as this as this, uh, you know, hopefully will be the many of there will be commentaries and much more work coming out because we need your your leadership and scholarship and voice. Um, uh, I wonder if you had any kind of just uh, thoughts on like how you hope that this chapter will be used and just what you hope, uh, you know, the, the book as a whole, but also your chapter, like how you hope it will be a blessing and really affect um, the broader academy and, and the church and, and the community. Yeah, I, I would hope the academy would understand that there's uh, more, um, more authors, more scholarship out there than just a typical white male perspective. And not that it's mm -hmm. a bad perspective, but there are other other voices that need to um, be heard, and and I would hope that they could see how some passages or some moments in the text are just overlooked, and how it can actually really impact how the church understands the text. Because if we teach this to our students, and then our students become pastors, and they go minister to their church, then the church will, unless you know you know God can reveal it to them. But they they may not feel encouraged to sort of branch out and, and say what God says to do. I, I I don't know. I can't really speak to that. But I would hope that in the academy they would understand that there are other voices that the Lord uses. We can see that in the text that God speaks through the women. He gives them the boldness and He affirms their their um, their request. So I, I'd hope that they could see that there are other voices and from other folks. Mm, yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Day. And again, I just I have to commend it that all of us need this this voice of yours. Again, I just have to you know, it's the first in print, <laughs> the first chapter uh, written by a black woman who is a scholar of Bible and theology that's coming from a gospelist perspective. Um, and that uh, that and that is historic for that uh for that reason. And so even if just that alone, definitely uh, get the book. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Day, for joining me. And 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 before we wrap up, Dr. Day, I just want to ask you, is there any uh, any kind of uh, ways that people who are listening can connect with you? Uh, any things that you want to bring up that are happening or things you're working on that we should know about and just ways that we can continue to follow and support uh, and be led by your work? Well, you can always find me at Gordon Conwell. You can always find me with Gospel Hanging Out at the Meacham. You, you, you hit up Vince, you likely will see me. Um, and um, I'll be at um, ETS next uh, next year. Uh, they've mm -hmm. invited me to, um, to present a paper talking about this this same issue. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so I'll, I'll be there. So really would love your, love your prayers. But I'm, I'm pretty um, accessible. If you, you Google my name, just don't come to my home. And um, <laughs> send me an email, and I'll respond. <laughs> Unless you got some food, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Day, and definitely everybody. Uh, that's, that's so encouraging to hear you'll be at ETS because that's your voice is needed there as well. But we're also glad that, that you're helping to lead and your voice is also uh, at the Society of Gospel Hymeno, um and the Meacham School of Hymeno, and also here at the Jew 3 Project. Um, we, uh, we are so grateful to have heard from you and thank you all for tuning into this time. Um, again, the book is Gospel Hymenote, a constructive theology and critical reflection of, on African and diaspora Christianity. It's published by UMI Urban Ministries International, uh, one of the only black Christian publishers, uh, in, in, in probably the largest one, uh, in the country. So definitely shout out to UMI, hit them up. You can get the book on the UMI website or on Amazon, uh, and definitely get this and read Dr. Day's chapter some of the other authors that have been here, but also the ones that weren't able to be on the, on the podcast. There's so much, uh, so much depth and rich uh, scholarship in this book uh, and just interdisciplinary. So definitely, uh, definitely get this book. Um, and uh, it's especially, you know, really meant to be a, a service to people who are increasingly feeling like, you know, categories like reformed or evangelical don't quite really do justice to where someone is at theologically. And at the same time, if like things like liberation or womanist theology also don't fully connect in terms of views of scripture and things like that, the idea is that the term gospelist can be a theological home for black students, uh, scholars, and also just uh, people more broadly uh, that can find a home in a way, in a, in a category and in a framework that really reflects the black church that birthed and nurtured us, which is committed to the truth of scripture and the justice and liberation and flourishing of even of the most marginalized of the world um, and, and of all people. And so that's really what this book is about and looking at that from different perspectives. So uh, definitely get the book and, and check it out. And it's really, again, just meant to be a theological and academic supplement to uh, really uh, similar things that are going on that the Jew 3 Project is uh, already at the forefront of equipping and addressing. So shout out to Jew 3 and it's a blessing to be here and, and guest host uh, this series series of podcasts and thank you all for listening uh god bless you and uh and we hope that uh, god gets the glory through all of us as we defend and represent uh the gospel of jesus christ so blessings to you thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jew three project podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode you can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com Com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.